In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. It's the spring of 1977, and I'm at Griffith Methodist Preschool. Uh, it is uh, near the corner of Oakey and Maryland Parkway. We were being moved, our class, uh, through the hallways into the gymnasium where we were taking a gymnastics class, and my best friend Lee was standing next to me crying. He had left his brand new red gym shoes in the classroom, and the teacher would not let him return to get them. When I saw the teacher was unyielding and my friend was still crying, I said, Come on, Lee, I'll take you to find your shoes. And we walked back down the hallway to the room, and we looked for them but couldn't find them. So we left the room, I saw the door outside, and I said, let's go to my house. So we walked out of the preschool, and we went outside, and we went down Oakey to Eastern, and then we went down Eastern and crossed Charleston, and crossed Fremont, and made our way to the corner of... Uh, Eastern and Bonanza, and uh, we were there at the uh, in front of the Old Lucky Shopping uh, Center market when the secretary of the school stopped us and uh, found us some several hours and two miles later. For years I told that story and would say I was less than a mile from my house. I would have made it and uh, was, uh, you know, proud of uh, how close we had come. I knew as I grew older the suffering that had been caused by the adults involved, especially Lee's mom, Sue. And uh, as I got older, I understood that deep distress that she experienced not knowing where her four-year-old was for hours. Um, and that suffering uh, was a real thing for her, and it's a real thing for us, and it's a question that we have to answer as Christians. We have to be very clear about suffering in the world. In fact, if we don't have a really good response about suffering, uh, we're not going to be very good at expressing our Christian faith. Job is one of the best examples of what Christian suffering means and how it is that we suffer as faithful believers. Uh, Job is a really uh, interesting book of the Old Testament. It doesn't give us any kind of a time or place. Just about every other book of the Old Testament does a lot of work to really ground us in a place and a specific time. Job doesn't seem to be a member of the tribes of Israel. Many of the ancient fathers think, in fact, that he was a, um, a contemporary of uh, father Abraham. And so in this ancient world, in this ancient place, it's clear that when Job is uh, suffering, the expectation is uh, that it's because of a sin that he's committed. But we know from the reading at the beginning of the book of Job that it's not because Job has sinned at all, because we uh, were given a window into heaven when uh, Satan goes to the Lord and says, I see your servant Job uh, blesses you and is a righteous man. And the Lord says, isn't he wonderful? And Satan says, it's just because you've given him good things. If he wasn't rich, uh, he wouldn't praise you the way that he does. And so the Lord says, well, then if you don't believe so, let's find out. And that's the beginning of Job's suffering. It's just the Lord's willingness to prove uh, Job's righteousness. That is enough, it seems, for us to experience suffering, that the Lord would prove our righteousness through it, prove that we're willing to praise his name even in suffering, that we're not praising him or rejoicing or glad, only when things are good. 
really the only way to know if our hearts are really with the Lord is if we're willing to thank Him and be gracious to Him uh, when things are bad and suffering. And so Job is given that opportunity. His friends, I'll put that in air quotes, come to him and they say, Job, the reason that you're suffering is because of sin. And of course we know that this is a major reason for suffering. Indeed, it's a reason that we point to quite often when we talk about the place of suffering in the world as it is. We know that uh, we have to have free will. And that free will is essential for us to be able to love God. We cannot love without free will. We cannot express gratitude without free will. And free will means that we're able to make a choice to sin and to commit uh, acts of sin which consequences are suffering and death. And so we know that the Lord allows us uh, to sin so that we are also able to love. It's the only way that we can do either. And so they express this understanding of free will and this understanding that Job must be suffering because of his sin. And of course, Job won't confess a sin. And they say, well, that's your sin right there. You're too proud. Everybody has sin to confess. And so your unwillingness is a sign of pride. And this is why you're suffering. The Lord comes in in chapter 38 here after the friends have had two chances to come and try to commit uh, Job to to uh, you know pronounce his sin and finally the lord says i'm going to answer you this question because in the middle of his friends coming job is saying i don't understand i don't understand the ways of god and why it is that i'm suffering and the lord comes in in chapter 38 and he says where are you going to stand for me to explain this to you what where are you going to get perspective you know, sometimes we have to have the right place to stand to get perspective. We have to be able to see the whole picture. And to see the whole picture, to have some understanding, we've got to have a way to stand and see the whole thing. And the Lord says, where are you going to stand to see the picture of creation? Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I created the heavens and the waters? Where are you going to get this understanding of what it means to be a creation in the middle, uh, a creature in the middle of creation so that you can understand the purpose of suffering and the role that you have in your obedience and worship of God. Where are you going to get this perspective from? And Job realizes in that moment that he cannot have that understanding and that his job is to humbly submit himself to the worship of God without ever knowing about that first conversation between Satan and God, that he is not going to have the perspective to understand that suffering, but that his role always is to be in worship of God. And that suffering that we experience is a, a source of our humility, a source of our understanding that these bodies are broken and that we're never going to come to a complete and deep understanding. The Lord may increase our understanding, but it's never going to be totally complete. We have to trust in Him. That's the only way that we are going to be able to, to come into a relationship with the Lord is to do that through trust. And of course, the disciples are having a terrible time with that kind of trust because here they are walking with the Lord. They're in a boat with him and uh, the storm arises. And what is their response to the storm? They say, don't you care? Right? What, what are they saying in that? What are they saying when they say, don't you care about our suffering? What's their understanding? Their understanding there is that because they're with Jesus, they shouldn't be un experiencing suffering or fear, right? That's what they're saying. They're saying, we're with you, Lord, so we shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't have any distress. 
This is a heresy you can see from the time of the ancient fathers through the apostles till today. People think if I confess the Lord as my Savior, if I'm baptized, if I lead a Christian life, I shouldn't experience fear or distress. Wrong. Wrong because that's what it is to be a frail, mortal human person in creation. is to suffer. And indeed, we get a deeper understanding of the purpose of suffering through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and through His suffering upon the cross and the power that choosing love and the suffering that comes with it can have to transform the world. The disciples thought that just being with Jesus was enough. What does the demon say in that next passage? Sometimes people think that if I confess the Lord as my Savior, that's going to be enough. It wasn't enough for the demon. The demon gives the most perfect declaration of who Jesus is. Do you see what he says, what he calls Jesus? Here in Mark chapter 4, on page 7 of our bulletins, this is uh, chapter 5 actually of Mark's uh, gospel. Verse 7. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He's saying Jesus is God. God's Son can only be God, right? I can only beget people. God can only beget God. Jesus is God. And the demon is saying that. What does that get the demon? Nothing. Nothing. He declares who Jesus is, but this is clearly not enough. And do you notice that the Lord even still allows him free will? This is a difficult passage. Every time I've studied this in Bible study, so many people say, how could the Lord allow that demon to go into the pigs? He allows the demon free will. Because we have a choice always. Humans and all creatures, including demons, to choose evil... And to cause destruction. We, we have that within our grasp. We can cause suffering if we so choose. It's a choice that we have. Or we can choose to do good. And the Lord always allows that choice. So he allows them to go into the pigs and the destruction that follows. And then we see the, the healing of this man. But you know, we don't see him repent. We don't see him do anything to earn this free gift of God. We don't see him repent of his sins. We don't hear anything about how the demons came into him. The Gospel of Mark totally goes over this. We get a little hint that there's repentance involved because Jesus says God has been merciful to you. But he's merciful to all of us if we would bow down before him in submission. And so without any kind of repentance, without any declaration, without doing anything more than what the demon did, the demon's the one that declared him God, the one who's healed doesn't seem to do that at all. He's healed of this possession. And sent and told to declare the mercy of God. Jesus tells him, go and be an ambassador. What kind of a story is he going to tell this ambassador? I suffered, and the Lord saved me. I was suffering, and the Lord saved me. That's the 
point that St. Paul is driving home for us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if we're going to experience the love of God, if we're going to experience the transformation, the reconciliation of God, we have to participate as ambassadors of that love. We have to share in the work of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? Reconciliation just means to make things even. Right? Our credits and our debits are even. Right, Our checkbook is balanced. It means that everything is transparent and in the open. And we know what we owe and we know what we have. And the Lord would reconcile us to himself. He would even us. But how do we do that? By us earning that grace? No, by his suffering for us. See that suffering again? Because he is willing to suffer. He takes our sin upon himself. And he was willing to die and take that sin to hell. And then to rise us up to bring resurrected bodies to all who would believe in him and saint paul participates in that suffering it's not that jesus suffered and then the saints don't saint paul suffers continuously throughout his ministry we know as he's writing to the people of corinth that he's been in shipwrecks we know his transformation story his salvation story about him going blind they're suffering all through paul's life and ministry continuously he's giving himself for god uh, because of his love for his fellow christians and now he says that god is reconciling us to him but do you notice the tense that he uses because sometimes we think oh i have been reconciled i have been saved and now we're just all in a waiting room hanging out for god to come again right i have been saved and now i just get to hang out and wait for god to come again right sometimes that's a heresy that's taught like the church is just a waiting room of holy people and then eventually we'll move on to the next station this is a ridiculous understanding of salvation what is saint paul saying here he says uh, all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself so we have been reconciled then what does he say christ god was reconciling the world to himself so it was a process of reconciliation then he says he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation that there will be and he says we implore you be reconciled so see what he's saying he says you have been reconciled you are being reconciled you will be reconciled to god you have been reconciled you are being reconciled you will be reconciled to god this is a process that we participate in when we allow ourselves to be with Christ in this, this work of reconciliation, which means to be willing to love, to be willing to suffer, to be willing to lay down our life for our friends. When we're willing to lay down our lives, we participate in the reconciliation of God and we become ambassadors of that love, of that hope and joy. So about 10 years ago, I was at Starbucks having a cup of coffee. I know, you're surprised. It's a big shock. And so I'm sitting outside in front of this Starbucks, enjoying my coffee, reading my book. And I realize that I'm in the shopping center where that old lucky supermarket was that the school secretary rescued us out of. Of course, I didn't think of it as being rescued until as a grown man and as a father I sat out in front of that Starbucks and I could see that spot on the pavement that shopping center has totally changed I was probably the only person within a square mile that remembered what it looked like in 1977 that's what it is to live in Vegas right 
It's totally changed. But I could see that spot on the pavement exactly where my friend Lee and I were standing. And as a father, all of a sudden, my perspective changed. And instead of thinking about being caught almost home, I realized that I had been rescued and saved. And more than that, I thought, what would have happened if my friend had been hurt? If he had been hit by a car, or taken, or any number of a hundred things that have, could have happened to a four-year-old crossing Charleston and Fremont Street. And I was so grateful for the way that we had been saved and rescued, knowing how different my life would have been if I had been the cause of my friend's suffering. Just a little bit of perspective that only God can give. He will change the way that we see the world. He will change the way that we see ourselves. He will change the way that we see each other so that we are willing to lay down our life for our friends and so that we are willing to suffer with meaning, with hope, and with joy.